Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from St. Anselm College in Manchester. It is time right now that we bring this world together. We need a Democrat who is willing to get out and fight. The way we're going to win is to bring everybody to our side in this fight. This is Bloomberg Sound On. If you don't think we can get this done, well, we can. How are we going to stand up for the people of the United States together? Let's take back this country and lead the world again. It's within our power to do it. Bloomberg Sound on with Kevin Cirilli, live from the Democratic Presidential Debate in New Hampshire on Bloomberg Radio. Where can I get a cup of chowder? I'm in New England, snowy Manchester, New Hampshire. We're just hours from now. The last Democratic presidential debate ahead of Tuesday's primary is set to begin, broadcasting live from St. Anselm's College in the spin room floor. We've got a team of all-stars. Maddie Dupler's down in D.C., holding down the fort for us. Kate Martell of the Hill Newspapers here. And Scott Furson, Democratic strategist, founder of the Liberty Square Group PR firm and the Blue Lab, a local political candidate incubator. Scott, the year was 1994. I remember it well, yes. You were a press secretary, a young press secretary from Boston, Massachusetts, advising then-Senator Ted Kennedy, who had served for decades. And all of a sudden, he's got to go on a debate stage against a Bostonite, businessman out of nowhere, Republican from Bain Capital, Mitt Romney. What do you tell Ted Kennedy last in, the, in 1994 that would be applicable tonight to the candidates who are on stage trying to fight for the future of the Democratic Party? Sure. I think, you know, fundamentally, obviously, this is the biggest stage, right, for presidential debate, but all debates fundamentally are the same. And uh, what I'm going to be looking for tonight, and I think what we were looking for back in 94, is that we're looking for the president who's on the stage tonight, someone who's going to, who's assuming that you can look at that person and say, I can see that person being the president of the United States. And in 94, Kennedy had been in for several decades. He was really overweight. Mitt Romney was young and trim and looked like the future. And uh, I remember the, one of the big things we needed to do was pick the size of the, pick the podiums because we wanted it to be quite a large podium so that he could stand behind it and it would minimize the, the, dis- the difference. Wow. But Kennedy really, you know, he, he, he got it and, and it, was the, it was the closest the polls had been. And, um, and he really schooled, I, I think there's a general consensus, Mitt Romney. Um, and so that's how you beat a young upstart. Absolutely. You school him. You school him. Let's see if Joe Biden does that. To and Pete it's Buttigieg. relatable. If you're Joe Biden and you're up against Pete Buttigieg, or if you're Bernie Sanders and you're up against Pete Buttigieg, and you're talking to working class voters around this country who have been hammered since 2008, regardless of which party you blame, which, regardless of which people you blame for that, hammered by that, that resonates when a young guy comes out of nowhere and tries to take your place. It's always those moments, I think. You know, we remember it from, from, from debates past going back to Ronald Reagan in 1980. This is my microphone, Mr. Green. It's those times where you think, that I get it. Like, that's the thing I've been waiting for. And I think people might be tuning into this debate tonight not really knowing what they're looking for. And, and um, I think it's the, it's the job, having, having been in these rooms with, with uh, minor, more minor offices, where you've got to distinguish yourself out on the, out on the stage. And we're looking for contrasts. We want to see 
contrast between candidates. You know, Scott, I'm so grateful that you're here because I, I could talk Kennedy stories all day, and I've got you for another hour tonight. <laughs> so let's go to Kate Martell. She, of course, is a reporter at The Hill. You grew up in New Hampshire. What is the mo What are you, as you're back home, what are you noticing? This race seems incredibly fluid. The Monmouth University poll has 49% of the electorate still saying that they're undecided. I mean, New Hampshire, I take their job very seriously, Kate. Oh, we love it. This is our time. Once every four years, <laughs> everyone comes up. Um, but yes, I think I, I've been talking to neighbors and people at the grocery store and everyone we run into, and so many people are still undecided. And for the people that I've talked to, it kind of puts people into two categories. One, I'd say they're the Bernie Sanders supporters. When you ask them why they like Bernie Sanders, they rattle off five or six different policy areas that they like. The other bigger category is people who just want to beat Trump. And they, they don't know who they want to support, but they just know who is the candidate that can actually beat the president. So all these people are still trying to kind of game the system. And that's why these people want to see what's going to happen tonight. Is there some contrasting point? Right. And these people are independents. We, we know from the report that we just put out today, 50-50 in 2020, that for the first time, and you know this from being up in New Hampshire, there's going to be as many independent voters in the Democratic primary as there are going to be Democrats. How so do you figure that? Why is the rules say that independents can vote? Well, it's it's. Uh, I'm from Massachusetts. It's kind of maybe it's a Northeast thing where uh, the, the, the unenrolled voters in Massachusetts are a majority as well over the Democratic Republican Party. I think there's this independent streak here. We want to be independent. I think there's a frank, frankly a weakness in the Democratic Party. And so most people feel that they can, you know, kind of hang off. Uh, these, I think, are largely Democratic leaning um, uh, voters, particularly from our, our polling shows in presidential years where the Republican is the president. The, the vote here, I would be shocked if it wasn't really, really robust and maybe record-breaking. Um, and those, A, because there's way more independents in New Hampshire than there were 12 years ago. Right. And, uh, and frankly, a lot of them are from Massachusetts who, who maintain that independence. Bunch of Patriots fans. Yes. <laughs> anyway, I need, a cu I need a cup of clam, New England clam chowder. I still haven't had any chowder since I've been up here. Uh, Maddie Dupler, let's go down to D.C. Strong week for the president in terms of jobs numbers. I don't want you to talk jobs yet. We'll talk about that coming up. But I do want you to talk about, just as from, from what you're hearing from your Republican friends about you put it in context for us. The Iowa debacle, Troy Price, the chairman of the Dem Iowa Democratic Party, and then the president getting acquitted. What are you hearing from Republicans down there in D.C.? Well, I think you heard from Kate and Scott both. They touched on the tension here that benefits Republicans and really puts Democrats at a disadvantage, which is that each Democrat on that stage tonight is fighting a multi-front war. The one benefit of coming out of Iowa, win, lose, or draw, was that there at least would have been somewhat of a hierarchy, right? And so that right. if you're a candidate, you're one, you're two, year three, you at least know who you're punching against. Now, it is still a wide open field, and it is very, very difficult. Kate mentioned those two buckets, that one bucket being who can beat Trump. It is so difficult for these guys to be to be talking about Trump right now because of the good economic data. I mean, this week, not just the jobs report today, we've had gangbuster economic data day in and day out. The picture for the president looks really, really positive and really, really strong. So if you're a Democrat going into New Hampshire, and you don't even know who you need to be pointing your fire at in the Democratic primary, you're going to have a really hard time trying to mount a contrasting vision with the president, much less everyone else who's sharing that stage with you. You're so right about that, Maddie. And I think the candidate that comes to mind that's going to be the most interesting there is former Vice President Joe Biden. He, he came in fourth in Iowa, and this is now his fourth make or break. In Iowa. This is, has to be, if he doesn't come in the top two in New Hampshire, and I think top two only if Bernie Sanders likely, possibly Warren, one of the progressives come in first. But if he doesn't come in top two otherwise and is beat by any moderate, I don't see how he even makes it to South Carolina, which is where 
you know, he's hoping that he can start racking up some delegates. Scott, you know the neighborhoods better than anybody, with the exception of maybe Kate Martell, because she did grow up here. So I'm not, not going to pretend, because she grew up here. Upstate so. New Hampshire <laughs> is Bernie Sanders' country. Why? Well, I, you know, I, I can't actually speak to why upstate New Hampshire is, but I, I can tell you this, that the, you know, this, this, this dichotomy that we have about people wanting a candidate who's going to beat Donald Trump, the Bernie Sanders people think that he's their candidate. So where the broad swath of the Democratic electorate think that he's absolutely not the candidate who's going to beat Donald Trump, that he's polarizing and that he might not be moderate enough to attract the independent voters in New Hampshire in the general election, um, the Bernie Sanders people are absolutely convinced that if we, if we don't, if we're not clear about our ideology, we're going to lose. All right, coming up, we're going to talk more about that economic divide, plus the Maddie Dupler on Jobs Day. She's going to break down all of the numbers on Jobs Day. Download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. My name is Gavin Cirilli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio, and I'm here in New Hampshire, snowy New Hampshire. I almost slipped and twisted my ankle on my run today. Don't worry, I didn't do it. I got back on a treadmill. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli. Live from the Democratic presidential debate in New Hampshire on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. I'm here in snowy New Hampshire, and Maddie Dupler just sent me a text in the break and said, Kevin, people are going to be absolutely livid with you because you're saying chowder and not chowder. All I want is some New England clam chowder, Maddie Dupler. You got to drop that R a little bit more. All right. I mean, I'm not going to fake it, but I, I you fake it. <laughs> what do they say in the West Wing, Sorkin's West Wing? Yeah, Aaron Sorkin's West Wing. You, you fake it till you make it. I'm here with Scott Furson. He is the former press secretary to the, to the late, great Senator Ted Kennedy. And Kate Martell, who grew up in New Hampshire. She's a New Hampshireite. And you were talking to me in the break about this neighbor's argument. You're also a reporter at the Hill. I should probably. <laughs> Bob Cusack's like, don't forget that part. Um <laughs> Your, uh, anyway, the neighboring state argument about Bernie Sanders doing better, Elizabeth Warren doing better because they've got the nearby states. I don't know if I necessarily buy that. It's not like they can flood the state with, you know, crossing the border. Yeah, I agree with you on that, Kevin. We're hearing that neighboring state argument all the time. and I All actually, the time. I think it's pretty bogus. I don't think that voters are in New Hampshire are just looking for somebody because, oh, they're, you know, neighboring state, we're familiar with them. I, I do think there might be one small point in there that, you know, maybe the way that New Englanders think that, you know, we're, we're like-minded. But other than that, um, Senator... I think that's it. I mean, yeah. in, in addition to, I won't I won't say, because it's, it's, it's vaguely vulgar what people in New Hampshire call people from Massachusetts. Please don't. I like, <laughs> I like my job. We all know it, though. I yeah. really don't think we need oh, to do that, Scott. But there, there are people but there listening really, that are very important there are very who few don't want to hear that language. There are very few different. You know, people in Massachusetts pay, uh, pay income tax. People in New Hampshire pay income tax because they work in Massachusetts. <laughs> and uh, the only thing wrong with people from New Hampshire is that they, they drive slowly in the left-hand lane on the highway and never see the... Never cede the lane to people. Other than that, I think they're pretty much like-minded in terms of the way that we're voting. I like you, Scott. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> I have thoughts about your drivers. Hopefully, y'all like me. Maddie Dupler, this argument from an economic standpoint, I was really struck by this, I and mean, we were talking about it yesterday. I bumped into Jeff Weaver, who's a senior advisor on Sanders' presidential campaign here in St. Anselm College, St. Anselm University spin room, where they're doing the ABC News debate. And I, and I asked him about that moment yesterday where Senator Sanders at the press conference in his Manchester field office was asked about Biden's criticism of him being a democratic socialist and whether or not it would all but hand the election to Trump if Sanders was the nominee. 
Jeff Weaver said no. Jeff Weaver said, you know, from an economic standpoint, it's about building a coalition. So, Maddie, from your point as the former Republican House or the, the communications director for the House Republican Conference, tell me about how you would interpret a Bernie Sanders nomination, given that he's a Democratic Socialist. Right. Well, there's I think there's two minds here. One is, I think, kind of this... Um, probably like this bravado that you see a little bit from the Sanders camp, which is basically, well, Republicans call Democrats socialists anyways, so you might as well just pick up the mantle and run with it. Uh, and I think that, you know, there's a little bit of truth to that, which is that in politics, of course, the message needs to win and Democrats right now are wrestling with this, which is how progressive do you have to be in order to break ranks with what you think the base is telling you is broken about Washington to stand out and to be the nominee. Now, the other side of that argument is that socialism um, even for all the flirtation that we've seen both in the media and potentially amongst young people, even though I have my skepticisms about that, um, it, it won't play in the United States, the land of the free, home of the brave. I mean, you guys are in New Hampshire, live free or die. Socialism seems to be at odds with what we as a country have come to know and love, regardless of what your political stripes are. And I think that that's part of what the debate today and the continued debate moving into these, pri these early primary states will be, which is what is that vision? Uh, at the end of the day, an election is about what is the contrast in visions. It's pretty clear what Republicans want to offer. Donald Trump is going to release his budget next week. It's going to be a blueprint for what he wants to offer the country. And Democrats are trying to figure out what their response will be. That's very, very difficult in a primary uh, in a primary setting. Um, you know, I will tell you as a Republican who survived 2016, where we had 16 people running for president, which it seemed for months and months and months and months, we were never going to whittle that rate that that pool down. It is very difficult to be able to say this is what the Democratic Party stands for, and this is why that contrast is important with Donald Trump. Uh, I have my doubts that the the candidate who says socialism is the way that we do that is going to be successful. Um, but I do think that there is a hunger on the Democratic side for something different. And that's why you see someone like a Joe Biden performing so poorly in Iowa. Well, I think we need to look, I guess, no further than the 2016 race where the Republicans nominated somebody who really wasn't a member of the Republican Party. And the, uh, the party, both in the primaries and then, of course, in the general election, embraced that new kind of uh, republicanism, if you will, that's, that looks a lot like just Trumpism uh, to, to, to me. And I think Bernie Sanders, um, in some respects, is the other side of that same coin, that that was the appeal. And I think, you know, the, statistically, there were a number of Bernie Sanders voters who voted for Donald Trump in the general election. There's that commonality, even though that you can, you can spend all day drawing the different contrasts between what they want to do, the way they want to do it is very appealing um, to general election voters. I think the problem for Sanders Sanders is kind of twofold. This morning at the at the uh, politics and eggs breakfast, he said we should be a big ten, and if he's the nominee, he's got to demonstrate that 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 is. And frankly, the other part of the problem is his people are not big ten people. They are very much small people, and they they want this battle that we're uh, sort of over the the soul of the Democratic Party. They want to remake it, and um, and that's not going to be sustainable if. You know, Republicans were very disciplined, you could say. I think everyone, each party accuses the other of being more disciplined than they are. But Republicans... <laughs> Tales all this time. <laughs> right. They, but, but, they, but, but they did. You know, they, if, I, if I wasn't with Trump, if I was a never-Trumper, I ended up voting for, uh, for Trump. Democrats have to learn that same discipline. Breaking Kevin, really quick, I, I think... i jump in here. Breaking news. NBC, New Marist, NBC News Marist poll just released, uh, just hot in my inbox, that Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg remain atop 
the Democratic field in New Hampshire just four days from the state's primary. Sanders, he's getting support from 25% of likely Democratic primary voters. Buttigieg getting support from 21%. Now the separation of the two candidates within the polls margin of error of plus or five, 4.7 percentage points. And they're followed by Elizabeth Warren at 14% and Biden at 13%. That's a two, two percentage point dip for Biden, mind you. And uh, I just wanna, I'm, I'm trying to look at this literally in real time to see who's undecided. So we'll get to that in a second. But, you know, I mean, this race still remains incredibly, incredibly fluid as it would relate, but bad news for Biden, Kate, very quickly, bad news for Biden in that poll. The bad news for Biden is that if he didn't he didn't do well in Iowa, he doesn't do well in New Hampshire. It's hard to see a path forward for him. Wow. All right, coming up, much more from the panel. We will have uh, all of it with uh, the all-star panel. Download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. My name is Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli, live from the Democratic presidential debate in New Hampshire on Bloomberg Radio. Donald Trump says that he would love to run against Bernie Sanders. Well, maybe not. Donald Trump lies a whole lot of the time. And in fact, what I have read is some of his advisors tell him that I will be the toughest candidate for him to run against. That was Senator Bernie Sanders hitting the campaign trail earlier today in the Granite State of New Hampshire. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. I'm in Manchester, or St. Anselm's College University. I mean, in the spin room floor for the ABC News Democratic presidential debate. You can listen to that debate tonight on Bloomberg Radio, and we'll be giving giving you complete coverage and analysis. All-star panel on Jobs Day, Maddie Dupler, down in D.C., senior fellow at the National Taxpayers Union, former coalitions director for the House Republican Conference. Kate Martell of the Hill newspaper. Scott Verson, former spokesman for the late Senator Ted Kennedy. And, of course, now he's the founder of the Liberty Square Group PR firm out of Boston and the Blue Lab, a, political, a local political candidate incubator. But Matt Mowers just walked in. The Matt Mowers, previously of the Trump administration State Department, and I mean, uh, now a congressional candidate for New Hampshire's first district uh, and former senior White House advisor for the State Department. I said that already. Matt, good to see it. Welcome to New Hampshire. On your Gavin. home turf. Welcome. And there's no you. chowder. That's right. We're, we're working on that. I heard food was just put out in the back over here. Where? So. I didn't see that. What oh, kind? We'll, we'll Is there chowder? Right. I'm we always keep, hungry, we Matt. Keep I'm, you fed, Kevin. It's you, know, good. I, you know, keep it's Kev new, happy, get me food. New England hospitality. The so, weather's cold, but the hospitality's warm. Where can, seriously, where's the best place to get chowder? In Manchester. Kevin, that's a dangerous question to ask a political candidate. Wow. You can't choose. That's like choosing your favorite child. Who do you love the wow. most? I got to say that. If you it's like Pat's and Gino's where I'm from well, in Philly. I was going to say, Gino's Chowder House out in a shop down in uh, Portsmouth is one of the best. Gino's in uh, Portsmouth. I miss Portsmouth. I haven't gotten there yet. Uh, 
let me ask you this. Are you a Patriots fan now that you're a congressional candidate? I mean, always been a Pats fan, but sure. Ew. <laughs> Why? I know. I What's know, it sir. like to win a Super Bowl cheating so many times? Oh, come on. You know, <laughs> Tough it, questions from Matt Bowers. You're an Eagles fan, right? Well, yeah, we beat you guys. And you, like, don't, don't, don't remind it. You've got to be careful around here in these parts here. All right. You're so surrounded by a bunch of like you know these, these other reporters right now, so you might be in safe <sighs> company, but go a few steps outside. Careful what you say. I don't know. It's a tough industry. Kate's I'm not sure she, I'm well liked. grew up in Bedford. Are, are you a Pats fan, Kate? Oh, yeah. All right. yeah. Is, is Brady going to go to L.A.? <laughs> that would be so, so much the Patriots thing to do. Giselle, call in. I want the exclusive. <laughs> uh, can, can we all agree that we just don't like Goodell? I am a reporter. Find a common ground. I actually think that I shouldn't comment on this because I think I'm getting a little too out there with the sports talk, and I'm going to rein it in. By the way, we were able to get some Pats and Eagles fans on the same side here. That's, you know, imagine what we can do in Congress, Kevin. <laughs> imagine. <laughs> Let me ask you, Matt Mowers, congressional candidate Republican for uh, the 1st District of New Hampshire. How are, how are you assessing the field as the Democrats are trying to decide between Bernie and Buttigieg. Yeah, look, it's it's a race between the left and the far left right now, and I really don't think it matters which uh, candidate the Democrats ultimately nominate. I think the president and his record uh, are so strong right now that it's going to be tough for any of them to beat him. But I'll tell you, I was at an event with Bernie Sanders earlier today. You uh, were? I was. I stopped Why? by. I was driving by actually here at St. Anselm's. I was literally driving by. And so I said, why the heck not go see what the socialist is going to say? And so I, I popped in and everything I heard was everything that would totally undermine what's happening, the progress that's happening here in New Hampshire. What was the, so you think, go ahead, no, I interrupted you. I was going to say, you know, New Hampshire has record low unemployment right now. And that's directly attributable to the president's record as well as the record of Governor Sununu. Um, you know, there's actually more jobs and there are people seeking jobs right now. I don't think we want to have a socialist revolution in the hands of Bernie Sanders to try to undermine that. Are you at risk of just labeling the party socialist, socialist, socialist so that it loses its muster nine or eight months from now? No, because I think you got to look at what that actually means, right? So I'll give you an example. My opponent is uh, in this congressional race is Chris Pappas. He's a first-term Democrat. He's voted with AOC 95% of the time and Pelosi literally 100% of the time. But what does that mean? It means he's actually voted to tax the internet. It means he's voted to pave the way for a na national energy tax. It means that he's saddled it up with the part of the party that wants to take away people's rights to choose their own health care and put them into some one-size-fits-all government socialist health care program, which, by the way, we have seen here in New Hampshire when we had problems with the VA under the Obama administration, that they couldn't even run a health care system for the 1% of America's heroes, let alone for the 99% of everyone else. Can I ask you a question about Trump's rhetoric? Because a lot of a lo there are a lot of independent voters in the live free or die state. Matt Mowers, congressional candidate for Republicans uh, in uh, New Hampshire's first district, who, who, you know, they're torn because they don't like the rhetoric of Trump, but then they they might not like the economic messaging of Sanders. What do you say to those undecided voters? I think people are really impressed with results at the end of the day. You know, you talked about the fact results, that was, yeah, not rhetoric. At, look, I was at the State Department for two years, like you mentioned, under the president. And you think about how much our our foreign policy has changed between the administrations, right? Instead of sending a bunch of cash on a plane to a bunch of thugs in Tehran, what were we doing instead? We were designating their militia as a uh, radical um, terrorist group, and then we were taking out the leader of that militia. We actually turned the page on North Korea policy from a policy of strategic patience, which I think meant strategically and patiently waiting for them to develop a nuclear weapon, to actually engaging with them and bringing us closer to peace than we've ever been. And then you look at the economic results that we've talked about. Record low unemployment, 401ks are going up, wage growth is going up for the first time in a generation. There's a lot for people to you know, really be proud of in our country right now. I don't think people want to turn the page. Scott, first, and I mean, I'm not going to ask you, I don't 
want you to debate. It's not that kind of show. But you hear that. You hear what the Republicans are saying in the Granite State. That's a tough message to beat. For, to, for how do you how do Democrats keep independent voters with a message like that? Well, I mean, th this district's really, really interesting. I think um, it may be the only district uh, historically that flipped every two years. Yes, I it's think. a record amount, record yeah. number of changes in party. Uh, it's it's, wow. a, it's about as. Uh, as evenly uh, as, as possible. And uh, just being from Massachusetts, not, not obviously being from New Hampshire, but, you know, Governor Baker has taken this sort of moderate uh, tone. I think he speaks to the electorate in Massachusetts. Um, and we're happy in Massachusetts, not me particularly to vote for a Republican, but certainly a majority a couple of times. And frankly, a lot of Democrats voted for Charlie Baker this last go-round. And the economies in both states are really good. So I guess the only thing I would push back on is, is you know, in terms of the district, does a sort of a strident message match the electorate? But you're running the campaign. So that's, yeah. uh, that's what you're seeing. And that's exactly, I think, what the race is going to be about, is that we're going to be trying to see in New Hampshire all these independent voters, which way do they go? And I think you're making an interesting point, Kevin, that you're saying it's a, it's a tough message for Democrats. How are they going to try to pull in some of these independent voters? Because it's not just this primary that matters in New Hampshire. New Hampshire is a purple state now, and there's so many independent voters even in November. And, and you know, the president actually won my district. Uh, he won my district in 2016 uh, because you have a lot of people who felt like they were left behind by the economy and the economic policies of the last administration. And by the way, of administrations before that of both parties. Um, and so now they're actually back to work. They're earning money. Their families are happy. And uh, that that's going to be what ultimately people Matt, vote on. Matt, is this a national election for you or is it, does it, is it local? Meaning, is the messaging much more? If there's this trend down in D.C. where everyone says, oh, Politics is becoming less localized because of, of what's going on, you know, with the cable news and ever and, and people are running national campaigns. But do you sense that when you talk to people that they're asking you more about Trump or are they asking you more about, you know, the the school district? No, I mean, I think people are really concerned with what they're seeing down in Congress right now. Really? Uh, I mean, I, so I've been all I only launched my campaign three weeks ago, been all over the district. Um, I'll give you a great example. I was at Mary Ann's Diner in Derry just about a week and a half ago. What'd you get? Uh, what, I got the red, white, and blue special. Don't, okay. yeah, don't tell my doctor. Okay, um, yesterday was, I got at, at the Red Arrow Diner, I got um, French toast that was stuffed with sticky buns. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> We're not going to rat you out to your <laughs> doctor either. <laughs> I mean, hey, wow. hey, doc, I'm still here in Manchester. Go ahead. Uh, so, you know, I'm going around table to table. And what folks have said to me is that they are really concerned with what they're seeing because they feel like their freedoms are being taken away by Congress. You know, this is a state that respects its Second Amendment rights. This is a state that doesn't want to have some big takeover of their health care plan. And so what you're seeing is that because of the way Congress has been acting, I think that's been exacerbated. If you look at how it's acted this past week, uh, Nancy Pelosi tearing up the State of the Union behind the president, you know, they're just sick and tired with the showmanship down there. And they want to say, say, what the heck are they actually doing? What are they accomplishing? Um, you know, we've wasted millions of dollars and countless hours on these impeachment hearings, yet they're not doing anything to improve health care for veterans. They're not doing anything to lower prescription drug prices. They're not doing anything to work with the president on issues that matter, like building the wall, which would actually stop the influx of illegal drugs. All right. If you came to my table, I'd be like, sit down, let's eat. Uh, coming up, much more panel reaction. Matt Mowers, thank you. This is the first time you've been on since you since announced. announcing. Yeah. Since announcing. So do you miss D.C. at all, or are you kind of, it's good to be home? Yeah, I, I, I like being in New Hampshire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I go to D.C. as little as possible right yeah, now. No, hey, you know, you got to, hey, we'll leave it there. Matt Mowers, the Patriots fan, but hey, run over Congress in New Hampshire's first congressional district. Coming up, Maddie Duppler breaks down the jobs numbers, and it was a strong jobs day. Maddie Duppler has been ready for to, to dissect the jobs number all day. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. 
This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli, live from the Democratic presidential debate in New Hampshire on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. I'm at St. A's here at the debate spin room floor, ABC News, putting on the spin room, putting on the debate in just a few short hours. We're going to have those candidates up there. The last debate, the last time they can make their impression for their before the uh, primary on Tuesday. And let's not forget about Jobs Day, folks. And, and, and now it's time for my favorite part of the show, where, where our panelists tell us their quick take on their radar. And we've got a great panel today, by the way. Kate Martell, New Hampshire native, national political reporter at The Hill, author of something I read every day, Midday, The Hill's 1230 report. Kate, first time on the show, would you come back? Absolutely. Good. Thank I, you. Well, appreciate you've made a lot of comments about the Patriots, but I, I think hate, we I can mean, work through That's this. like a thread of the show. The New England Patriots are cheaters. Scott Furson's here, Democratic strategist and founder of the Liberty Square Group PR firm. Second time on in one week. I know. I know. That's so, a, I, mean, I, feel I guess validated. it wasn't that Thank bad. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, us. Yeah. yeah. All right. And uh, the Maddie Dupler on Jobs Day, senior fellow at the National Taxpayers Union, former coalitions director for the House Republican Conference. Maddie, Jobs Day, 225 jobs added to the U.S. economy in the month of January. This is your quick take. This is what's on your radar. It's your time to tell us the jobs report. That's right, Kevin. It's my favorite Friday How of the month. How was that for an intro, by the that way? That was amazing. <laughs> you built me up. You made me feel like I was here to talk jobs day, and that's I'm exactly what I'm going to do. you got to make the economic <laughs> indicators interesting. Go ahead, Maddie. Your turn. Well, and they are interesting, right? I mean, you and I agree, but it's, I We're feel like it's my, t- my, my time spent on Earth is going to be trying to convince other people that that is the case. But the expectation was 160,000 jobs. 225,000 jobs uh, added instead. Blue expectations out of the water. Uh, there were revisions for the last two months as well, which brought the three-month moving average to 211,000 jobs. That's way above what we need to keep pace with population growth. So overall, employment picture still looks really strong. That has been a hallmark of this recovery, and particularly over the last several years, that the employment picture continues to get better, even though the experts tell us that they think that we're we're, we're hitting the, the peak of where we can go. So the question continues to be, how much better can this employment picture get? I come on every month and I talk about the wage situation, whether or not those are rising, because that's an important component of this. Wages grew at 3.1%. They dipped slightly last month down to 2.9%, so it's good to get that number back above 3%. But with employment looking as good as it is, with so many people finding and getting jobs, the question is, why are wages not rising faster? Now, we did see earlier this week that productivity notched its highest uh, increase since... uh, the last nine years. So that might be some of the momentum that we've been missing in these really? in these in these numbers. That might start increasing uh, that wage number. So as we move into the next couple of months, I would encourage people to continue to take a look at that wage number. I think it'll right. continue to move higher. You know, I'm going to go next just because it, it's kind of works with what Maddie was just saying. So it's my it's a double quick take on your radar. This is the first time we've ever done that. But my, what's on my radar, what's been on my radar is the coronavirus coming out of China. And I was talking about this with uh, Bloomberg Television's Jonathan Farrow earlier today on BTV, ahead of the opening bell. And, you know, President Trump's tone towards General Secretary Xi Jinping of China has been incredibly optimistic, incredibly positive. He's been praiseworthy of China for its handling of the coronavirus, given that he's saying that they're doing a good job. And, of course, you know, yesterday I, I told everybody about how on uh, February 14th the Chinese are going to make good with lowering some of their tariffs as they committed to doing so on the U.S.-China Phase 1 trade agreement, Matty Dupler. 
So, but the president's tone continues to be positive. I'm wondering if there's any anything in the jobs report that would yet that would suggest some uneasiness in the U.S. domestic front for the coronavirus. Not yet on coronavirus. We saw a 12,000 job drop on manufacturing, but manufacturing, of course, has continued to be weak. I would watch that number, though, as well as we move into the next couple of months because you've got this yin and this yang. You've got coronavirus that is certainly going to stample, that's going to uh, right. that's going to siphon uh, industrial production in China, but you also have phase one and the passage of USMCA, which you would expect to increase those manufacturing numbers. So keep but an eye one, on that. One more note on the coronavirus is that because everyone's been court, I mean, because of the question, I'll be careful with my words, because of the quarantines in China, because folks have been having to stay home from work, retailers have been getting pummeled in China as a result of that. And there are a lot of U.S. retailers who could be impacted by folks staying home from work. So it's in, in a way, it's almost like what happens in a D.C. partial government shutdown. You know what I mean? I mean, so it's it's or interesting. This, yeah, or snow again. <laughs> uh, all right, Maddie, that's on your radar. Kate. Mark, tell what's your quick take on your radar? I think what I'm watching tonight on the debate stage yes. mostly is that while we think we have two front runners, it's so easy to just talk about Pete Buttigieg and Bernie Sanders. Let's not forget four years ago, this debate is when Marco Rubio was looking also like a front yeah. runner and think how quickly things changed with one back and forth. He kept getting hammered by Chris Christie, had the same can That's response. That's right. You know, Matt Mowers used to work for Chris Christie. Go ahead. Yes. And that completely changed it. So I, I warn people that while it's so easy to talk about one or two front runners, things so, so easily change. And that's so who could that, that could be tonight. Elizabeth Warren. That could be Amy Klobuchar. That could be Andrew Yang. Who else? Tom Steyer? Could be. Yeah. I think Elizabeth Warren is who, someone who comes to mind, um, particularly because she's from Massachusetts. She's, you know, she, she really needs New Hampshire. So she's going to be, you know, putting everything into tonight. Because Will if she be doesn't more? do tonight, she's probably out. Will, really? Oh, yeah. Can What's she, her path she, past New Hampshire? If she so can't will get there be state. so th you're saying there's going to be a lot of pressure for some of these candidates to drop out after? Which is why, yeah, I think that we're going to see a lot of dirty shots tonight. Oh, and tonight why it could get interesting. It could. It just got <laughs> interesting. Friend shout out. Okay, Scott Ferson, what's on your what's your quick take on your radar? Uh, well, I completely agree with that one. Um, and uh, because you know they're going to go in there, I think Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar loaded with things that they have to do that are game changers. I think for them, where the road sort of ends for both of them. But I'm going to be looking at Pete Buttigieg particularly because he's got to. He is clearly going to go beyond New Hampshire. He's going to be in Nevada. He's going to be in states where he isn't as well known. hasn't Doesn't have the infrastructure. And I think I'd look for him in the same way that um, you know we might be curious about. Donald Trump running the ad focused on um, criminal justice reform during the Super Bowl. And you could say, well, he's, he's reaching out to African-American voters. And really what he's reaching out to is white um, women in, in certain states to, to reassure them about suburban. where he stands, suburban women. And, um, and I think Buttigieg would be interesting to see if he's forecasted anything actually to African-American voters in South Carolina that are going to be watching him maybe for the first time to say, we're going to get a look at him in a couple of weeks. And he hasn't, obviously, he needs to make up some real room if he's going to have a, a play in South Carolina. All right, so we're all nerds. And Maddie, I'm going to come back to you down in D.C. But for, for non-nerds, I mean, ever, you know, and I say that respectfully, <laughs> but, but we also I have wear that as a badge of honor. I don't know the rest of you guys. So, I mean, now I do, not growing up. But uh, I say this respect respectfully for the non-nerds out there. A three-hour debate. It's a long time, Maddie Dupler, for, for, for folks on a Friday night after a long week of work. Three hours. Yeah, they've got to... 
particularly because you've got this president who always wants to talk about ratings. Like, I I don't know who else is going to be tuning in for a three-hour debate on a Friday night at the end of what has been, I don't know, 500 different news cycles this week. (laughs) Um, It it, it will be interesting to see kind of who tunes into that. But I think all the points that have been made around the table are really, really good ones. And I'll return to the point that I made earlier, which is that Democrats right now have got to figure out a way to come up with a contrast, not just with them, yeah. not just with uh, Donald Trump, but between and betwixt all of the people on that stage. And you're going to need at least three hours to do that. Well, see, and that's that's the the final point I'll make. And Scott, I'm going to give you the lo- the last word here, just as for you know, t- Ted when Ted Kennedy's press secretary is on your show, you got to give him the last word. So, but that's I mean, what obviously I, yes. But what do you? I think that is this. There's been so many news cycles, and you've got like 30 seconds less than that. There's been so many news cycles, but tell me about the importance of keeping it simple up on that stage tonight. Oh, it's 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 absolutely about keeping it simple. I mean, if you if you get into too many policy wonky things, that's not what people are gonna. That's not the takeaway. You know, it was Ronald Reagan in 1980 saying, "It's my microphone, Mr. Green." Simple message that conveyed a whole lot about who he was. I love that. All right. Keep it simple, folks. Wake up if you're driving out there on the road. Drive safe. I heard it was a gray day in Washington, D.C., but that's all right because we are live from St. Anselm's College where you can listen to the debate here only on Blue, or you can listen to it multiple ways, but also on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Thanks to the panel. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions. July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.